On this episode, I sit down with Courtney Smith-Wiesmore, who is the head of the top teams division at Compass. With over a decade of team building experience and $170 million in annual sales, Courtney shares the keys to building and developing a successful team. Today, she will break down her strategies around surrounding yourself with the right people, recruiting and keeping talent, as well as her golden formula around the realtor to support staff ratio. We will also talk about the one thing that holds realtors back from growing to the next level. Before we get started, let's help you stay inspired with these amazing conversations with top performing agents across the nation by simply hitting that subscribe button now. Let's get into it. I'm your host and San Francisco Connection, Sean Kunkler. And we are live. Now the pressure's on. <laughs> Courtney, thanks for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start, I start with all the episodes with this. You can be super brief or go as deep as you'd like, but who are you and what do you do? <laughs> That's a great question. I guess it depends on the day and the mood. Um, who am I? I'm Courtney Smith-Wiesmore. I am a, a human being. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a supporter of women in particular in that space. And I happen to have chosen the real estate space for the majority of my entrepreneurship. Nice. I like that. That was very, very concise. And currently, you're the head of, I'm going to misquote this, but it's the head of top team development. I'm the current head of top teams, the top teams division at Compass. Gotcha. And what does that entail? I now work on the employee side. Okay. And what is that? Unpack that. What is it? Give me a high level in a month, over the course of a month. What do you, what are the, some of the things that you do? So predominantly I build coaching, programming, events, and other services for top producers at Compass. Um, I work on the wider team that does this for every single agent at Compass. And my niche just happens to be top producers. That's actually how we met because you were a top producer. Did I ever tell you the backstory? We bumped into each other at the retreat in LA, but I, did I tell you the backstory prior to that? No, tell me. So I, it was like two or three weeks prior to the retreat. There was a top producer in our, in our office who had an org chart. At the time I was building a team, she was expanding her team and she's like, I got this from Courtney. Don't share it with anybody. And I'm, I looked at it and I was like, this is amazing. Like it was literally the roadmap of like who to hire, where to put them, put them in. And then I still have it. It's sitting in my binder. And a couple of weeks later, I'm at the retreat. It was like one of the mornings after one of the amazing evenings the night before. I'm sure we were all a little We hungover. had too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> a little too much fun. I finished writing an offer. It was like for two and a half million. And it was like eight in the morning. I'm super tired. I ran downstairs to get coffee. The restaurant was packed, 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 packed. And then I wound up wedging my way to the bar, ordering a coffee, and then the the waiter just vanished. So I'm standing there with a black coffee, and I wanted cream and sugar. And you happened to be sitting there, and I was like, do you mind if I just grab some 
some creamer so I can run back to my hotel, my room and just get ready for the day. And then we started chatting and I'm like, oh my God, I have your org chart. This is amazing. Like you've changed my life. And so it was just this weird random moment. I actually remember that moment. I was sitting next to Stephanie Younger, who was on my left. And I remember you coming around to my right. Oh my yes. goodness. Wow. <laughs> That was a fun little moment. Yes, we did have too much fun the night before. And um, I'm so glad that we got to bump up next to each other in real life. That's awesome. Oh, thanks for reminding me of that. Of course. And it's. It, I just thought it was such a cool moment because there's like clearly thousands of people there. And then I just, you know, just prior to got this golden ticket, really, which I formatted, formatted, and I have next to me the my org chart is based on that org chart, and I've been running it since. And that the LA retreat was four or five years ago, somewhere in there. I think it was five years ago. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. You transformed my business, so thank you. Well, listen, you're speaking my language. This is why I get up every single day. I literally do what I do every single day as I did in team leadership and I do now today to have a positive impact on the people around me. That's it. So you, by you just saying that today, you gave me all the fuel I need to get through um, just about anything that comes my way. So thank you for that. Of course. No, thank you. I sincerely appreciate it. And at that time, you clearly had developed a phenomenal team. And if I remember correctly, you're you were nearly 200 million annually in production, which is those are huge numbers. How how big of a team is that? You were also put in a marketplace that had a really good median sales price too. I was in a general marketplace with a fairly average high sales price, although. My specific niche market, my sub-market within the greater Los Angeles area was among the lower uh, average sales prices for Compass offices. Oh, interesting. There was still a pretty high volume of unit count, roughly equivalent um, with about a million dollar average sales price at that time. Obviously, those numbers have changed quite substantially in the last five years. But um, but yeah, it was high unit count uh, in addition to high dollar count. And the... I guess the getting to that point, the way that I ran a team and the way that I staffed a team um, required anywhere between, you know, 15 and 20 some folks, just depending on the phase of the business. That's a very big team. And that's of of the 15 to 20, how many are employees and how many are sales? When I was running the team, it was about a one-to-one ratio. Okay. I mean, obviously, people build all sorts of different types of teams and in all and offer all different types of value to the agents on their team. Um, the way that I conceptualized of the team when I started out in in building it and then further refined it, because, of course, you know, when I started out, I didn't have exactly that very same vision. Um, but that came into clearer focus over time. It just it it uh, was centered around the premise that agents can be most productive when people who have um, complementary strengths to theirs are actually executing on all of the pieces of the business that are not their strong suit. So um, really, it's a, it's a 
methodology of thinking about the business where everybody is playing to their own strengths, where the admin staff are doing the things that they're uniquely qualified to do and the agents are doing the things that they're uniquely qualified to do, but that neither is spending the majority of their day doing things that are either are neither pleasurable for them nor in their wheelhouse, right? Because we all do our best work when we're living in our strengths. That is so true. I mean, yes, 100%. And I try within my team to to evaluate that. It's hard because you're building the plane as you're flying it. And so there's there's new iterations and then you bring a new person on, the dynamics change and it's ever shifting alchemy, that's for darn sure. That is true. What was what was your role within that? Were you it sounds like you were more in a, a director CEO type position? At the end, yes. Although, of course, while I was building it, I played every single role in the play, just like you've done, just like any team leader who's grown a team has done. And so as business owners and entrepreneurs, I think it's you know part and parcel of our responsibility to assume far more than any of our average employees. And so the way that I conceptualize my own work within the team was that little by little, as new people joined the team who were better than me at certain aspects of operationalizing and running the team, um, then I would just peel off one little job at a time and hand that off to somebody else. So, of course, I wore a lot of hats in the very beginning. And as things progressed and the team grew, um, then I wore fewer and fewer and fewer until ultimately I was serving predominantly as the CEO and COO, but ultimately even hired a COO to handle that piece as well. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's quite a evolution. It was over a 13 year period. So, and we do. And as we build, we have new needs, new problems come up, and then there's new solutions. So, I can completely understand. And I think that's a unique having had that experience. And then, in addition to having built to such an incredible, production level when you sit with these other teams you have a completely different lens like you can having a coach who can empathize is is vastly important and i've had many coaches who didn't they had a lot of great pieces but they didn't have that that component of of being able to see the road ahead while they're empathizing with it yeah for sure I mean, certainly, I don't know all the answers. I don't have all the answers to anything. If I did, I, you know, maybe I'd have a different job. Um, almighty something. But anyway, <laughs> certainly having lived the experience and also, as I like to say, having made every single mistake in the books, um, I have a lot of insight into where people are in the arc of team growing and team leadership. But most importantly, I really understand that the saying heavy is the head that wears the crown, you know, obviously speaking about the queen or, um, or someone else in that position, it's true. It's a pretty lonely place to be at times. And especially when, you know, you achieve this like great level of success as visible from an external world, you still probably as a top performer feel like there are 
you know, a limitless number of things that could be improved, um, that your own personal potential and capacity has not been reached, that you're continually pushing yourself. And yet you're perceived by the outside world as having like achieved all of this stuff. And like, you should just be happy and it should be easy and you should be enjoying the fruits of your labor. And, and yet we're still these like overachievers who are push, 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 pushing. And it can be pretty lonely to, to constantly battle with that dichotomy of this like external vision of success and this internal desire to continue pushing and achieving more and growing and, and, you know, ultimately at some points being displeased with your own abilities because you haven't been able to like get to where you want to be. And it's, it's no different than anybody else, except for you're doing it at a much higher level. Yeah. I think it's helpful to know that you're not alone in that endeavor. How did you manage that personally? I could not have done it, literally could not have done it if I had not met another team leader who was in a similar spot. I don't, I really don't think I could have gotten through. It was, there was so much emotional toil and so much stress and so much responsibility. Um, I don't think I could have done it without this um, this other team leader that I was able to talk to multiple times a week who would give me unbiased, unvarnished opinions, who would put me in check with love. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could have done it without an amazing executive coach who did the very same thing, but from a different vantage point. Yeah. And I don't think I could have done it without my incredibly supportive husband who really picked up all the pieces at home. I mean, everything. I couldn't have done it. And Robert Refkin wrote that book, No One Succeeds Alone. And that is 100% true. It's 100% true. It's not just the members of your team, although they're critical to the ultimate success of the team. It's all of these ancillary important people who dramatically impact your life, who make it all possible. So without those three, there's no way I could have done it. Two things that I thought of immediately as you were sharing that is as small as somebody listening to this and they haven't had a transaction, as small as one transaction, you cannot do it alone. So it doesn't matter at what level, you can't do it alone. And then the second thing I I immediately thought was no matter how many games Steph Curry or Michael Jordan, all those guys won, they always had a coach, always. And they always had a team around them. And so it's, and the team doesn't have to be employees. It's just having your tribe support you and having people to, to volley. Your board of directors, right? 100%. Is sometimes people within your profession. Sometimes it's people in your personal life. If you're lucky, it's a combination of all those things. Um, because we're whole people, because businesses are made up of whole people. And that's what it takes to get through the dark days in order to see the good ones. Amen. <laughs> it's so true. And there's, a, 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 yes, to all of that. It's, it's, you do genuinely just, you need good support. And, and, and I think as simple as this, like listening to a podcast, just surrounding yourself around reading books and, and studying this and figuring out what are your weaknesses? Where are your strengths? Which weaknesses do you need to raise up a level? And then how do you get around those people? 
to pull you to that level with the top performing teams that you're working with. You said they're, they're top and, and they're obviously like doing big numbers to get to you. What does one have to produce? What's so awesome is that all of the work that I do impacts all of the amazing agents at Compass. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we have the best of the best here. So the baseline for um, performers at Compass is just extraordinary. So I'm very fortunate that a lot of work that I do gets to touch every agent at Compass, even if there's not a one-on-one interaction, which of course is just not scalable. We've got something like 30,000 agents at this moment in time. So and um, each of us is just one human being with 24 hours in the day. Although if you figure out how to crack the code on getting more, you just let me know. I'll be second in line right there. I want I want whatever that pill is. I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, can, I mean, listen, I'm not asking for much, but maybe like an extra four hours would be great. And my programming this year, I've been able to, with the with some additional resources, expand to um, offer group programming to anybody who's doing 100 million and above, which is so exciting. I love that. Um, but in terms of my one-on-one work, you know, the it's a very particular person that I tend to work with. So, uh, and those are really exciting for me and um, extremely gratifying just as, you know, watching a fledgling future team leader come into their own and make their first hire is exciting and gratifying as well. I would say my, the first hire is the scariest hire. And the most impactful hundred percent. If you do it right, it is profoundly amazing uh, for you and for your business. If you do it right. What was your first hire, Sean? I had read The Millionaire Real Estate Agent from Gary Keller, which I think is, I think it's a great place for most anybody to start. It, there's a really good wireframe. But as we just talked about, as you start building the plane and you're flying it, you have to figure out, is this working for me? Does this work with my strengths? Does this work with my weaknesses? How do I maneuver around it? But I strategically hired an operations person on the back end, And then I specifically hired somebody without a license who hated to sell. Great. Yes. I needed somebody to do all the stuff that I couldn't do. And I learned that because prior to, I was into martial arts and I was starting a business and I partnered with two other martial artists. And in hindsight, it was like, we all do the same thing. We can magnify this by three. In looking, reflecting on that experience, I realized that because we're all doing the same thing, we were all doing the same thing we liked and no one was doing the things that no one, the three of us didn't like. And so we had these huge holes in the business. And so I applied that lesson that I had learned And three months after the hire, my sales flattened. And then by the close of that year, I had doubled my transactions. And then the following year, I had doubled my transactions again. And I have never looked back. I will say you ask 10 top producing agents what a first hire should be. And 10 out of 10 will say an admin with super strong operation skills. 10 out of 10. I think it's a natural predilection to want to hire somebody that we are going to enjoy spending time with because it's so intimate when it's just two of you at that moment in time. Um, So we end up looking to, or many people end up looking to hire um, another agent Mm. because it's somebody you're going to have fun with. 
and it's somebody you can identify with. Um, but what that gives you is double the firepower to do the exact same stuff as you indicated instead of rounding out your collective set of strengths. In observation and observing this is I would say the other thing that I notice a lot of people do is they'll just, they'll partner out of convenience of, we can just kind of, it's cheap. I don't have to pay anybody. You are already trained, so we can just go faster. And and I think because of that, they hit the, they hit a ceiling because both of them only have a certain set of skills and you haven't hired the support to build the foundational pieces. That's right. And long-term, there are certain aspects of partnership which are very appealing, not the least of which is being able to share some of the um, emotional burden um, and responsibility of building a team. Um, But having a partnership is not for everybody and certainly not every partnership um, ends up the way that it is intended when you start. So yes, you're right. And it works for some and it doesn't work for all, but certainly first, um, first hire who's not going to participate in, in top level earnings of, you know, profit needs to be an operator of some kind. Yeah. Which ultimately ends up ends up helping to be the foundation for what your your value proposition is for future agents who join your team, right? I mean, I like to talk about um, value proposition to team agents as being part of four different categories. One of those categories being mentorship and culture, right? That's you know the ability to learn and to be part of something that's bigger than yourself and to feel the good vibes and all that stuff. Um, second is an elevated credibility, which comes from brand prominence within a community or a particular subset of a market. Third is support and operations. And very few teams offer that in a way that is super meaningful and actually really moves the needle for a team agent, but it's so, so valuable. And then last, of course, is opportunity. Um, opportunity being Everything from the opportunity to tag along with me at um, community events where I'm super visible, to hosting my open houses, to receiving overflow lead opportunities that come in that I can't handle, to you know the most sophisticated being or the most uh, not necessarily sophisticated, but the uh, fewest people who offer this kind of thing, just like straight up lead service, right? So Zillow Flex, Home Light, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the it kind of like that first hire dovetails into your building out of a value proposition that one day can attract team agents to your team and retain them because you're offering such a value that's really meaningful to agents. Twofold is attracting people is one incredibly big challenge. And then retaining them long term is is clearly the other side. From the flip side, the perspective of the person shopping the team, what's the number one thing you feel they're looking for or do they not know? You know what? It really just depends. And I think as as a team evolves and grows, the thing that a prospective teammate is actually searching for changes. So at the beginning, there's um, when you're a smaller team, there's a lot more like, I just want to join in on the fun, like, let's do this all together. So it's much more in that like mentorship and culture capacity with a larger team. um, The ask tends to be more along the lines of like, 
I really love doing this narrow scope of work and I'm really good at doing this narrow scope of work. And I'd like to work at a place where I can do just that all day, every day. And I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Let's say from the the realtor perspective, at what evolution, like time frame, like three years in, five years in, does that, do you see that shift to start to happen? You mean when a outside perspective agent is looking at a team as a possible solution for themselves in their business? No, as an agent who they start the team, they jump on the team, they they want the collaboration, the mentorship, the education, and then in their evolution, they start to shift their needs change. They feel like they've established themselves. They don't need as much mentorship. How far in to their evolution do you typically see that? And then what's where, what do they start wanting and needing at that point? It really actually depends on what the team offers. So, you know, I found that, you know, because we were a pretty process oriented team and heavy ops and training team that you know, it was pretty consistent across the board that an agent could, an experienced agent even could come to the team and within a year have um, doubled their production from prior years uh, because just, you know, efficiency and opportunity are two things that, that the team I led offered to any agent who fit into um, and wanted to fit into that mold and that way of doing things. So, you know, I think, the majority um, of agents in that paradigm came in looking to grow as agents, you know, grow their business, grow themselves. That was something I certainly always looked for was a growth mentality, not necessarily just about growing income, but growing as a person, right? A desire to like be better, do better, learn more, offer more, you know, contribute more to society, um, improve myself in the way that I am in the world. So, you know, that was a big focus that just sort of like trickled over into doing the good work. Yeah. But after a couple of years, I think what, what agents on the team came to love and appreciate the most was the camaraderie and the family and, um, and all of that like backend support. So literally not doing any marketing or any administrative support or any transaction coordination or any branding or any thinking about like the PL or any of that stuff, right? So um I don't know if anybody would necessarily articulate it in exactly that same way, but I think, you know, the further away you are from having to like manage all of those pieces of a business, um, the more comfortable you get with not having to manage those pieces of a business. Having that whole structure just running in the background on behalf of the agent. As an agent who's never had it looking in on that, I can always see them trying to just wrap their head around how is that being done for me going to actually benefit me? And they don't like they can't wrap their head around, you know, when you we just joked about having more than 24 hours of usable time in the day. That's how you get it. You have a team who supports you. <laughs> exactly. It's like that three hours you just set, spent noodling on the postcard you're going to send out. Somebody else spent three hours. That's three hours of lead gen you have right there. That's three hours of sitting and having coffee with people, grabbing lunch, going to an event. 
And yeah, that's the force multiplier for, for agents who are considering teams. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know what? Honestly, not everybody has what it takes to lead that. It is burdensome in more ways than one. It is joyful and amazing as well to be a team leader, but it requires so much sacrifice that most people are unwilling to sacrifice what it actually takes to build that kind of operation. And that's okay. In fact, it's better than okay. Like that's everybody finding their niche and their part in this like crazy world of real estate, right? That's like acknowledging your strengths, playing to your strengths and allowing other people to do the very same thing. A hundred percent. Have you, have you ever read the book, The E-Myth? No. The E-Myth, it's the E is, stands for entrepreneurial, but the myth is, you know, it's not dissimilar from real estate, especially current real estate. Whereas you get into real estate, you do your own transactions for a couple of years, then you build a team. And then there's this, there's, it's implied that, you know, in in a few years you build a team, then you do this thing, then you're a team lead. But the myth is, as not directly correlated with the e-myth is we're not all designed for that. Right. We have totally different passions and desires and skill sets in, in every which way to Sunday. It's, and so it's, I think there's an illusion that we're all supposed to aspire to this thing. Like I I think the end of the day is you find the thing that you really love doing and you do as much of that as possible. hundred percent. It's not dissimilar from support staff. Somebody who cat who does operations for me, she is phenomenal at organizing and just keeping everybody on schedule and on point. She has zero desire to, to sell, but that's her attribute. That's her, that's her superpower right there. And because she knows what she's really great at and she loves it, that's a force multiplier for everybody else. And I, you know, I, I think just stepping back and really evaluating ourselves internally, like what am I really good at? What do I really love doing? What do I hate? <laughs> what do I want to avoid? And then strategically figuring out A, how do I get into that role? Like, do I join a team, build a team, whatever that is, or do I hire the support to make up for those areas that I just not, it's not my wheel. It's not my thing. It's not my jam. Right. And I think actually, I mean, you bring up a great point and being super self-reflective, but also um, there are so many ways that you can jumpstart that process. If just like sitting down and putting in a column of you know, two columns, like I love doing this and I hate doing this, um, which feels sort of tedious and, and, um, and elementary, perhaps there are all of these great assessments that you can take to really like be more objective about yourself. I love Clifton strengths. This is one that, um, I've relied upon for years and, uh, love it. You know, when I, when I did my Clifton strengths after having done all the other ones, you know, DISC and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and all of those, having done Clifton Strengths, I finally was like, oh, this is why I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. Like, I will never not be building something. Something, yeah. Because this is in me, you know? I, I don't 
possess the natural born, you know, salesperson strengths. These are things that I had to learn how to do. And I'm, I'm halfway decent at relating to human beings and I have a lot of empathy and a lot of caring. Um, so that helps and tapping into that really helps, but I'm not a natural born salesperson. It's not who I, it's not who I came out as. Yeah. I'm a natural born entrepreneur though. And boy, seeing that in um, black and white through Clifton Strengths, I was like, bing, now I get it. Makes all the sense in the world. So doing some of that self-exploration, allowing your coach, your, you know, your uh, strengths evaluations and all of that, and like looking at all of that, both qualitative and quantitative data, and then putting it through the like objective meter <laughs> really helps you to figure out where in this space you should be so that you can be your authentic self and live your best life. Yes. I, it's funny. I, I too have done tons of tests and for me, it was the disc test that clicked. Like it was the one that I was like, Oh my gosh, like this totally makes sense. And it's, that was a hundred percent the illuminating one for me. Also, I have a business coach and I specifically wanted somebody who's not in real estate because I wanted them to not have any preconceived ideas of any of this. I wanted them to just ask very strong and strategic questions and push me to look at things in a completely different perspective. And that's really what helped me break through of, of understanding, oh, I'm stuck in this category. And they give you the tools by you know just hitting you with these really good challenges of why are you approaching it like this? Have you considered this? Are you looking at this? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's so... It's so interesting. And even these conversations I have, I'm blessed with the opportunity to talk to amazing agents and literally look under the hood of the Ferrari of like, oh my gosh, that's that's the configuration you're running? Like, how did you arrive there? That's amazing. I love that you did this. Like, tell me more about this thing. With, let's say, the 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 group of 100, and 100 million to 150 million producing volume producing agents, their teams. A couple questions. How big are those teams on average? Totally depends. <laughs> totally fair. Okay. <laughs> Give me a depends range. Depends on where you are. I mean, it really depends on where you are. So if you're in the Bay where the price points are super duper high, if you're in, in San Francisco city or, you know, somewhere right outside the city where your average price point is super duper high, those teams are small. Those are teams of two and three. That's true. If you're in uh, Pittsburgh, where you're doing $150 million, but you're closing four, five, 600 transactions, those teams are pretty big. So, you know, I tend to really focus um, on number of transactions as a benchmark for the number of humans that you need to be operationalizing effectively. Um, because as you well know, Sean, Closing 100 transactions is very different from closing 10. And as you could probably surmise, closing 500 is very different than closing 100. So, um, you know, that's one of the first questions that I ask anybody is, you know, what's the makeup of your team? How many transactions are you closing on an annual basis? And then what, what part of the market are you serving? Because that also impacts um, the amount of service level and type of service that you're providing to your clients. Not that we're all not ex providing exceptional above and beyond service, because of course we are. But let's just face it, 
If you're dealing predominantly in $20 million homes, then your service value proposition to your client is a little bit different than if you are, you know, servicing primary home buyers with their first home. So I would say the volume is a lesser indicator. The dollar volume is a lesser indicator of what's going on in a business than those other factors. That's a completely fair assessment. And I did ask the question through the lens of, of my market. (laughs) Understood. And most people, and most people do, you know, but then you get on the phone with somebody who's like the number one agent in their state. And they're like, you know, I'm going to close $80 million this year. And if you live in LA or San Francisco or New York, that sounds like not quite a whole lot, but then they're the number one agent in their state. And you're like, they're obviously doing something right. So what's going on with them? Well, their price points are just totally different. They're totally different. Being in this like national role has really helped me calibrate um, my, the lens through which I look at everything and to look more specifically at the humans, at the transactions, at the service level offering, and some of those other ancillary factors when um, supporting people in outlining their roadmap for the next phase of their business. That's fascinating. And it's true. You know, as a new first time home buyer, you're typically dealing with the buyer and well, their parents, and then a luxury or ultra luxury, you're now dealing with financial advisors, attorneys, their assistants, their, you know, you're not actually talking to the client, like you're indirectly going to them through all of these other avenues. So you're right, like it does, the dynamics change, and then the level of training, the staff then needs to interact with these people. It's completely different. It's just different. It's not better or worse. It's just different. You know, I I work with um, some of our luxury teams in New York and Miami, you know, who are also they're they're serving a luxury market, but they're also doing a super high number of units, four or five, six hundred units a year. You know, those are just very different scenarios than um, a person who is working in a, you know, in a marketplace where there's not a lot of um, transitory movement where people are buying their homes and staying for 15 years, where it's predominantly, you know, friends and family for years and years and years, generations of people working with a particular real estate team. So, um, you know, just everything depends, I suppose. What's the rule? Know the game that you're in. Like you just, you have to know your, your niche and study it, understand it. What's the, biggest challenge then that you would see just as like a blanket statement on a national level with these teams? What's the, on the day to day, what's just, where do they struggle? I mean, I think many of the struggle struggles are common regardless of production level or team size. It's just that the, um, those production levels and team sizes amplify the challenges. So those same challenges that you had as a early team leader are a lot of the same challenges, but they're just like you crank them up a whole heck of a lot. Um, so, you know, maybe some of the easier stuff, uh, operationalizing some of our systems, those things are, they're done, right? Um, the, the top producers have those things on lockdown predominantly, but they're, they're still struggling with, um, you know, things that you and I struggle with, like just being the best leader that we can possibly be, uncovering the next um, set of opportunities within a marketplace. 
mm-hmm. moving the needle from 6% market share to 8% market share. Um, you know, just uh, really similar, just like crank up the volume a little bit. You're increasing frequency and frequency. You know, the more deals that you're doing, the more frequently challenges are going to come up within those and the more marketing you're doing. So every, you're right. Like everything is just, it's on steroids. But I would say like the most fun work that I get to do with people um, is helping people see, helping leaders see their potential greatness. Like that's the most fun. So you know, usually it comes because it comes in a package of like, this is my problem, right? This is my challenge right now. And this is like the challenge that I'm trying to solve. And typically um, what I have the privilege of getting to learn is that it's actually about unlocking somebody's potential that they already have within them so that the problem is no longer even there. There actually isn't a problem. So I don't know. I, I sometimes describe it as the fun of the work that I get to do these days and it's, it's, a, it's the work that I got to do as a team leader, but just in a totally different environment, um, is being pre- the one who's present to hold up the mirror so that the person I'm speaking with and working with really sees what I'm seeing, which is that they have the capacity, that they are blessed beyond measure, that any challenge that presents itself can be easily overcome by them because of their innate talent, because of their dedication, because of their commitment to what they set out to do, and because of their own leadership abilities. So that's really like the most fun. It's getting to see people witness the shift from how they used to perceive themselves to how they can perceive themselves. Maybe like shedding some of that fear, shedding that some of that um you know, criticism of oneself and actually like seeing their own greatness. It's pretty cool. That reminds me of, I think it was Socrates who says, who said learning is remembering or remembering is learning. And it's, it's remembering that these people are already producing and succeeding at an incredibly high level. And they didn't get there by accident. Like they got there because they're talented and skilled and, savvy and smart and driven and it sounds like just tapping back into that thing that they somehow forgot and to get that resource to continue moving them forward yeah it's such an elegant reminder that like we didn't get here by accident like any agent who's listening to this regardless of how many numbers they're putting up like it wasn't an accident that they got to that point that's exactly right. And it won't be an accident that gets you to the next one. Yeah. Whatever that next destination is. That is the most powerful way we could end cap this entire thing. There's no more work that we could do here. I think that was like the absolute, absolute perfect, most beautiful way to end this. So Courtney, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for sharing all of this wisdom with everybody in the real estate space. I I'm so excited to watch some of these and listen to the wise words of the incredible people that you're having on your show. I am excited to share it with you and I will, I'll make sure I'll, I'll keep you in the loop of that. So Courtney, thank you. Thank you again for your time. If somebody wanted to reach out with you, reach out to you, is there a good way for them to do that? 
easiest way is my OG compass email, Courtney at compass.com. There it is. Awesome. Thank you, Courtney. Be well. Cheers.